Today we'll hear a sermon by Reverend John Strajanga called Known by Our Wounds. The scripture lesson may be found in Luke 24, verses 36 through 49. The story just before the one I'm going to read is the story of Jesus appearing to two disciples who were walking to Emmaus. And then when he reveals himself to them, they hurry back and they find the disciples meeting in an upper room. We pick up the story there, verse 36. While they were still talking about this, that is the report of the uh, two who went to Emmaus and came back. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, This is what is written the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. This is the word of the Lord. In 1788, a group of pioneers set out from New England for the newly opened Northwest Territory. They eventually settled on the western banks of the Ohio River, where the city of Marietta is now located. Their story is told by David McCullough in his book, The Pioneers. A few years later, a newly trained physician named Samuel Hildreth joined the pioneers at the age of 23, and he had just graduated from medical school, which you could do at age 23 at that time. And he established a medical practice there in that, that settlement, and it grew rapidly. And in time, he had 600 patients under his care. In 1810, he was elected to serve in the Ohio House of Representatives. 
he married and had a family. And then in February of 1815, nine years after he had left his home in Massachusetts and gone to join that pioneer group, he traveled back to his home for a visit. Nine years had intervened between his time he left and when he went back, and he went on a very long and dangerous journey across the Pennsylvania mountains, and it changed him. He arrived at his family home about dusk one day, and no one recognized him. His father told him there was a tavern down the road he could go and get a room there. But then his father and he began to talk a little further, and the father thought, maybe, maybe he is. Maybe he really is our son, as he claimed to be. But his mother wasn't convinced. The stranger looked too old, too dark-complexioned to be her son. And so finally, to settle the matter, his mother said if he really was their son, she could tell by a certain scar he had on his head. He was born with a large abscess in the top of his head, which his physician father had removed, leaving a scar about three inches long and one inch wide. So Samuel showed his mother his head, his wound. And as soon as his mother saw it, she knew the stranger was her son. Some things seem to be too good to be true, but they are true. When Jesus suddenly appeared in the upper room on Easter evening, his disciples were like Samuel Hildreth's mother. They just couldn't believe it. It was just too good to be true. Luke says they were startled and frightened, thinking they had seen a ghost or were seeing a ghost. Even though standing there in their midst were the two disciples from Emmaus who had just testified that Jesus had been with them at dinner and had been known to them in the breaking of bread. Still, they just didn't believe it. Jesus speaks to reassure them. And then he showed them his hands and feet. Luke doesn't say it specifically, but one can easily assume that he showed them the nail scars, the wounds on his hands and feet, for they were only a few days old by that time. But strikingly, his resurrected body still had them, and he showed them to the disciples. Look, he said. Look at my hands and my feet. Touch me and see a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. Imagine being there. Imagine that you were in the upper room with those disciples. John tells us that the door was locked for fear, for fear that the authorities would come and, and do what they had done to Jesus, to his disciples. The door is locked, and suddenly there's a figure in the room with you. And it, it's just amazing. 
looks a little like Jesus, couldn't be Jesus. Then he speaks, peace be with you, and you can hear the voice, but you still aren't convinced. And he shows you those nail-scarred hands and feet. Touch me, he says. Come on, touch me and see. I am real. He was known by his wounds. Isaiah had prophesied. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And without the wounds, he wouldn't have been recognized. Words alone wouldn't do it. Just as he had talked with those people from Emmaus and walked with them, but didn't, he wasn't real to them until he broke the bread. He wasn't real to his disciples until they saw the wounds. And I am certain, I am certain that they never forgot that night, never forgot the image that was indelibly in their minds thereafter. Every time they suffered, they remembered those hands and feet. Every time they doubted, they remembered those hands and feet. Every time they celebrated the Lord's Supper, they remembered those wounded hands and feet and knew they were healed by his wounds. Never could they forget Standing among them was the Lord himself holding out his hands and pointing to his feet as if to say, as John heard him say in his great revelation vision, I was dead, and behold, I am alive forever and ever. As we come to the table tonight, it is as if Jesus is saying to us what he said to those disciples that night, peace be with you. Look at my hands, my feet, my body. It is I, myself. Touch me and see. If we are one with our wounded Savior, doesn't it follow that we at times will be wounded and known by our wounds as well? In time, every one of the disciples with him that night was wounded, some perhaps by a man named Saul who was hunting down followers of Jesus like a bounty hunter, dedicated to wiping them out. And then came the day when he was wounded and turned out to be a magnificent wound a wound so deep and so severe and so healing that he called it death. I have been crucified with Christ, he said to the Galatian Christians, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The old life of pride and violence and hatred and self-righteousness had died. In its place was a life of profound service to his Lord. But make no mistake, 
that transformation left wounds. At the end of his letter to the Galatians, he writes, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks, the stigmata of Jesus. And when some in the church in Corinth questioned his credentials as an apostle, he showed them his wounds. He said, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I've been in danger from rivers, from bandits, from my own countrymen, from Gentiles, from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face pressure every day for my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? Who is led into sin and I do not inwardly burn? He suffered his own wounds, but he suffered also in solidarity with others. Well, yes, that's what happened to Paul. But surely we're not expected to do that, to experience that, to have wounds like Paul did. Maybe not. But do we really think we can identify with the crucified Christ without sharing in his wounds? Jesus summarized the gospel for his disciples. He said, this is what is written. The Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. Repentance. The word, the Greek word he used there was the word metanoia, and it means a change of mind, a change of heart so profound, so painful, it's like dying and rising again. Christians are known by their words and by their works and sometimes by their wounds. I think of a young teenage girl committed to Christ who refuses her boyfriend's sexual pressure and finds her virtue mocked on social media. I think of the young man who joins a fraternity at the university where he's a student. And he doesn't take part in some of the activities because they violate his Christian conscience. And one day someone says, well, how are you doing, Goody? And the name sticks. Pretty soon everyone's just calling him Goody. He says it doesn't bother him but it's a wound he carries with him. I think of the Christian politician who embraces truth as a core value and finds himself or herself on the sidelines. A couple of days ago, we celebrated Veterans Day. Some veterans have purple hearts to show they were wounded in combat. Christians don't get purple hearts but they can be wounded in combat. I think of the late Senator John Lewis. On March 7, 
1965, a date that came to be known as Bloody Sunday. John's skull was fractured by an Alabama state trooper as John led a peaceful march for voting rights. And he carried that wound with him the rest of his life, the first of many he suffered. He was known by his wounds as a man who was committed to the biblical principle of love even for one's enemies and for nonviolent protest against injustice. His wounds spoke louder than his words and helped to pass the Voting Rights Act of 1965. The Apostle Peter was deeply wounded by the realization one night that he had fulfilled Jesus' prophecy that he would deny him three times. You know the story. How in the courtyard of Caiaphas, Jesus looked straight at Peter. And Peter was wounded. Not because the look of Jesus was accusatory, but because it was a look of love. And Peter had just denied knowing Jesus three times. He went out and wept bitterly, deeply wounded by his betrayal. Jesus healed him from that wound. He forgave him, but I don't think Peter ever fully got over it. It stayed with him the rest of his life. It shaped him. That's why he wrote to people in 1 Peter and people in Christians throughout, scattered throughout the Asia Minor and says, Dear friends, do not be surprised at the, at the painful trial that you are suffering as though something strange was happening to you. But rejoice that you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Some wounds are not directly ours, but we take them on in solidarity with others who are suffering. In Hebrews 13, the writer says, remember those in prison and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. He's echoing the words of Jesus in Matthew 25. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. It may make us uncomfortable, but a consistent theme in the Bible is the central role of suffering in the shaping of our spiritual lives. There is no depth without wounds. That's why Jesus' brother James wrote, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Alexander Solzhenitsyn, a great Russian writer and Christian, spent eight years in a Russian gulag prison. But he wrote this, Bless you, prison, for being in my life. For there, lying upon the rotting prison straw, I came to realize that the object of life is not prosperity, 
as we are made to believe, but the maturity of the human soul. G. Campbell Morgan was a British evangelist and pastor and author in the early part of the 20th century. One Sunday, a young man was a guest preacher in Morgan's church. After the service, Morgan remarked to his wife, it had been a brilliant message. His wife commented, he'll be better after he suffers. And he did. And he was, says Morgan. Tonight, our Lord invites us to come to the table. He knows that many, if not all of us, have wounds of one sort or another. It may be the wound of watching an adult child walk away from the faith. It may be the wound of a huge hole in your life that was once filled with a loved one who is now gone. It may be the wound of shattered hopes and dreams. Come to me, he says, all you who are weary, wounded, and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. But friends, not only does he call us to come to him, he calls us to go from him in his name. In John's version of this story, he says that after he had showed them his hands and his feet, he said to his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Go, he says, be wounded healers for those in need. Be my hands and my feet, my love, my compassion, my forgiveness, my hope, my joy. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Gracious God, equip us by your Holy Spirit, both to receive your grace in Christ and to show it to others. Bind up our wounds and equip us to minister to those who are wounded. In your name, amen. This has been the Grave Circe's Sermon Podcast. Thank you for watching.